Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Gloria. How's everybody doing? Okay? So it's sunny. Everybody's smiling. You walk into church and we're dealing with guilt. But before we look at that as a subject today, I want to just set the scene for what we're going to be looking at. One of the questions that I very often would get asked is in and around the question about a God of love and suffering and all of that kind of stuff. And as that conversation then goes on and there are some back and forth, you then may well have the question that comes up, well, what about famines and earthquakes? It's one of people's uh, uh, obvious topics of, of conversation when you're thinking about the bigger picture of suffering in the world. And, uh, and Dave and, and Gloria have already alluded to some of, uh, of that and why we should pray. We shouldn't minimise the, uh, the effects and the pain that are caused from a famine. At Canaan, this, this land of promise that we're going to be thinking about the events that occurred back then, uh, that was uh, a land that had uh, experienced famine in the time of Abraham. You can read about that in Genesis 12. Uh, also, uh, the time of Isaac in Genesis 26. And now, as we'll see shortly, in Genesis 42, in the time of Jacob. There's a lot we can read in the Old Testament about famines that occurred. But one of the things that struck me is... I don't really take much notice of a famine that I read about in the Bible, do you? I just gloss over it. Just think about the pictures that you see on your TV screens of famine across the world. That was what they were experiencing back here. They can appear so frequently that we almost don't give them a second glance. If our emotions, though, are not properly engaged before we hear God's word from Genesis 42, which we're going to shortly, and we don't kind of um, uh, engage with that in a real sense with our minds, we're not going to understand the seriousness of the predicament of all that was going on at the time. There's great, great anguish and bitterness in a land that's been devastated by a famine. In the book of Lamentations, you read these graphic words, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Can it get much worse than that? And of course, we may well think, well, that's an extreme, that's ancient history. And yet, even in the 20th century alone, famines resulting in cannibalism have occurred in the Ukraine, Germany and China. There's a little bit of a fact-finding mission for you. This was a serious predicament that was going on back in Genesis chapter 42. This particular famine, which covers a vast region ironically serves to bring about at the same time some incredible good to bring a divided family together again the famine is kind of like a a form uh, that's used of God's mercy as he uses this situation to draw a group of brothers back to himself as well as back to one another and through that we can see our own situation and what maybe God's word is going to speak into our own lives. That's at least my hope and prayer today. God reveals his ultimate concern for souls, even to the point of allowing bodies to starve. 
You know, it struck me that it's often whilst facing a physical low point in our lives that we're then made aware of something that's to do with the spiritual state of ourselves, isn't it? When there's something that's a tragedy and a crisis, and very often it takes something like that for an adult to think about the whole God question of where am I going in my life. If we go back 15 months, we know that there was a surge of adults that were suddenly in panic as a result of this pandemic that, oh my goodness, I might die. So people were checking online about how to find God, how to find peace with God, and people being more interested in what churches were having to say. It's in a time of crisis and tragedy that we sometimes sometimes begin to deal with some of the stuff from our own past. So as we hear Genesis 42, I don't want us to just think of events that happened back then, because this is very much something that's in the current, in the here and now. And certainly the issue of guilt would be true to that end. It's that whole taking stock that these brothers are beginning to experience as they set off on their journey. And with that in mind, we're going to now hear a part of that journey from Genesis 42 as Leslie comes to read to us now. Thank you. Morning, everybody. I'm going to read Genesis 42, 1 to 29 and 35 to 36. If my voice holds out. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might Come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men not spies. No, he said, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, You will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother, 
The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realise that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children, Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Let's pray. God, this is your word, which is therefore more than a story or an account from ages past. It's your living word. So breathe by your Holy Spirit and speak to us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if um, any of you here has ever felt guilty. Three, four, five, six. Oh, now it's safe to admit that I felt guilty. All the hands go up. All of us have, haven't that, haven't we? Uh, I went uh, to have my second COVID jab on Tuesday uh, morning, and uh, that was down in uh, in Bournemouth. So that gave me an opportunity to see uh, my parents, which is great. And after my early morning uh, COVID jab, uh, my mum had gone out for a walk with my dad so that then when they got back, dad would be tired. So dad would then go 
go asleep in the chair, which would give me an opportunity to take my mum out for a coffee, which is a rare treat uh, for her, um, particularly because we wanted to talk about dad's Alzheimer's and some of the changing life circumstances that are going to be occurring uh, in the home or beyond. And I'm sure you can work out some of those difficult conversations. It was a precious time having that time uh, with mum, and it may well be that we could have had that conversation at the home, and dad wouldn't have fully understood, but we wanted to respect his own dignity, so we went out for coffee, which was great. An emotional conversation but it was good and then on our way out of the door my mum said to me this has been great to be so treated today thank you so much have you paid (gasps) I'd forgotten to pay so I quickly sprinted back as much as I could sprint into the uh, to the to the pub to actually pay and settle up uh, before the headline appeared in the local echo about local pastor fined for theft of two coffees My mum then went on to tell me about a time where she said, actually, that reminds me of a time when something similar happens to me and your dad. And they'd gone out to a local hotel in Bournemouth for coffee, and that was fine. They then met up with another couple. That was fine. This other couple that they never uh, met before, but that doesn't matter. My mum will talk to anybody on the planet that she doesn't know. They then went on their way, and then my mum and dad then went home. And upon getting home, my mum realised, faint shock horror they'd not paid for the bill it was a 15 minute journey now my mum's not that fast in the car but apparently this particular day she turned around sped back to the hotel breezed back in the hotel but these were her words when she went into the hotel she said oh we've 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 had two coffees wondering if we could uh, stay to lunch would that be okay to add that on to the bill so she felt so guilty she had to go straight back to the to the hotel but not guilty enough to actually say we left 30 minutes ago and are now coming back to try to find out a way of settling up honestly but not to actually let you know fully what happened guilty and those are humorous incidents but of course guilt is a far deeper more serious subject so I thought we would go round one by one this morning (laughs) we wouldn't do that but there's going to come a day when we have to give an account for our lives and within that there is going to be very long lists of those things that we felt guilty about as we need to give an account to our God there are different forms of guilt though aren't there and that's important and we'll come back to this later as well there's that sense of guilt that we may well feel through a bereavement process even if there's no need for that guilt people usually are going to go through that at some time or another there can be grief through uh, there can be guilt through a divorce process there can be guilt as a natural response to some kind of illness or or a disease or 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 maybe where where one person has the same situation as you but one is okay and the other isn't and the one that's okay feels a sense of guilt through that there can be a sense of guilt that is induced by satan which is unhealthy There can be a guilt about having your phone on and not remembering to switch it to silent on a Sunday morning when you come to church. But it's okay. It's okay. There can be a guilt watching a broadcast when you think I should have booked a seat. No, I'm only joking. You enjoy your cup of coffee in your dressing gown. All sorts of guilt, isn't there? Or there can be a guilt that's induced by what God is beginning to convict us of, which is a healthy 
guilt because it means that that which is wrong we're being made aware of so that we can then seek with his help to put it right and that is okay it is okay Helen honestly (laughs) can you remember Joseph's dreams that he had way back where he shared somewhat tactlessly about, hey, brothers, guess what? One day, you're all going to be bowing down to me. And they kind of didn't appreciate that sort of dream sharing. Now, 20 years on, this has become a reality. Joseph has matured a little bit. He doesn't for one moment say, told you so, told you so. The brothers, though, take an interesting stance. I don't know if you noticed that when they're sharing about their family. They answer honestly, but not totally so. A little bit like my mum when she raced back to the hotel, honest about, uh, oh, we had the two coffees, but can we share, uh, can we stay rather for lunch? So they're sharing about their family. There are 10 of us, uh, and there's uh, one back, our youngest is back with our dad, and one is no more. Well, that is kind of true, but they didn't say one is no more because we wanted to murder him. Do you get the picture? That's how they were beginning to share, isn't it? And of course, we can be a little bit discreet with the truth, can't we? To kind of make it things a bit watered down and sound okay, even though we know we've not been maybe uh, completely honest. Instead of being completely transparent, the brothers chose to omit certain facts. So that way they could convince themselves they weren't really lying. They chose silence. Silence is not the answer. Certainly not with our guilt. It's only another lie, isn't it? There are so many people living with that kind of guilt. And the more silent they are about it, the worse it feels. You may well have experienced that. And there comes a time or seasons where these things can well up, where maybe we think, well, I ought to act on this. If we do, good. If we don't and seek to suppress it, it will never go away. That guilt will never go away. I wonder if you uh, wonder why the brothers didn't recognize Joseph. None of them recognized him. And that might seem a little bit weird because if we're reading through the chapters, we, we forget the sense of time lapse. And we're just reading it like a narrative. There were 10 of them. Why did not one of them recognize Joseph? There are a number of quite obvious reasons. Let me remind you of what those may well be. Well, firstly, when they last saw him, he was 17. He may well have even been unshaven back then uh, or whatever. And, uh, and now he's 37. He would have looked very different, wouldn't he? If you think about what you looked like 20 years ago, probably pretty different from how you look now. There was a sense of his position. He was in a position of power. So they wouldn't have expected to see Joseph like that at all. There was that sense of language that he was speaking. Fluent Egyptian. They wouldn't have expected that at all. Their younger brother. Completely different set of clothing as well. And here was Joseph speaking harshly to his brothers. He wouldn't have dared have done that 20 years ago. They may well even have thought that Joseph may well have been dead. Or it did strike me, they may well, of course, have been kept from recognizing him by God. A sense of God's timing. It's only speculative, but it wouldn't be the first time, would it, that we know that that's true. 
Part of the post-Easter account is when there was the two men on the road to Emmaus. Remember that story in Luke chapter 24. And then Jesus walks alongside these two. But they were kept from recognizing him until the appointed time when God wanted to uh, make it clear who this Jesus was. Joseph seeks information about his dad and brother uh, Benjamin and then under the heading of disbelieving them throws them in prison for three days. Why? Well that prison sentence for him really helped him reflect didn't it? You got time when you're in prison to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of thinking. Within those three days the sentence is then softened and he then says okay it's just going to be one of the brothers who's going to remain behind. He's speaking Egyptian through an interpreter, but he understands their Hebrew. And he then hears Reuben uh, saying about his not wanting to have treated Joseph as they did. And that's maybe why uh, it's Simeon, their second eldest, who was detained instead. Even so, Reuben obviously still felt guilty. But he did what we can do and say. Didn't I say? I, I said don't do that, but you went on, you went on and did it, so it's nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with him. Because of his rank in the family, he could have been a lot more pushy and forceful in terms of what they were doing not being right. Joseph was trying to draw out and bring their guilt out into the open to get them to be truly honest by facing up to what they had done. The best way he felt that this could be done was to put them to the test, to make them sweat a little bit, if you like. And we can see as the narrative unfolds that his plan worked, as Joseph's brothers finally spoke about their sin to one another. Firstly in verse 21, and then in verse 28. You can mark those uh, those uh, verses in your Bible if that's uh, what you're into and like doing. But he wasn't done. Just after that, he had Simeon, the possible instigator of the, of the sale of Joseph, who knows, bound before their very eyes. What must that have looked like to the rest of the brothers? You can see their defense mechanisms unraveling layer by layer, the more trials that they are put through. And it's maybe a picture of how God begins to deal with our guilt. He certainly doesn't try and hide it. He probes And that can be very uncomfortable, can't it? Let me look over my glasses in teacher fashion. Remember that, being in class? And there's, who's talking at the back? And maybe it was you, and and you're not going to admit it, are you? And then teacher goes like that. (gasps) God probes. Why? Why is Joseph probing? Why, why, why? What's the purpose? Why was Joseph so intent on exposing his brothers and making them sweat. Because God is a physician. Why was Joseph so intent on making them sweat? Because of this God that we serve and worship being a physician. The only way a physician can cure a wound is through what? By first of all exposing it, to examine that wound. I don't know when the last time was that you went to the doctor. Sometimes it's not a great deal of fun, is it, going to the doctor? But uh, when the doctor can find the right remedy and not call it a virus, uh, it makes us wonder why we waited so long to go in the first place, doesn't it? God has got the right remedy 
for our sin. He doesn't want us to live in misery. He certainly doesn't want us to live under this cloud of guilt. He wants us to deal with it. If you are aware that there's a particular sin that you are committing right now and you're uncomfortable about it, don't hide it. Expose it and confess it. That is always God's pattern. Not from a a wagging the finger from on high perspective, but God knows that that being dealt with is going to be the beginning of you and I experiencing a refreshed form of freedom in him. That's what his grace and love is all about. God says through the prophet Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The brothers sensed that what was going on was God's judgment upon them regarding how they they dealt with Joseph. And they were beginning to take responsibility for their actions. It's quite interesting. We don't know who the the spokesperson is. All we've got in scripture here is the word we. But listen to what they say. We are guilty. We saw his distress. We wouldn't listen. That's why we are being punished. Ownership, 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 ownership of our own wrongdoing. Their recognition as well as their admission of their guilt is the beginning of true repentance. And that is a picture that is relevant for each and every one of us. That's where it starts, isn't it? Apparently, this is the only acknowledgement of sin in the entire book of Genesis. I didn't know that until this week. Some of you scholarly people are going to go and check up to see whether or not that's right, aren't you? You do that, and I'd love, I'd love to be wrong, and that's okay. But you think, wow, that bigs up how massive this was as to what was going on, doesn't it? When people don't deal with their wrongdoing, it's no surprise when then the distress that they have caused on the individual that they've hurt very often is transferred back to the individual who's been responsible for inflicting it. And that is exactly the picture that we get 20 years on from what's occurring with the brothers here. Saint Anne of Austria, whoever she was, I like her quote, God does not pay at the end of every day, but at the end, he pays. Joseph, of course, could have got revenge, but stronger was his desire from reconciliation. Sometimes people keep a forever list, don't they? Of wounds other people have inflicted upon them. If we do, and we keep God at a distance and hold on to our pain, we're going to just live and die in bitterness of soul. And God doesn't want that. Last week, Paul spoke really helpfully about the importance of choosing to forgive. If you've not heard or downloaded that message... I'd encourage you to do that. It was a God message for now, in my opinion. Totally anointed message. Here we have God helping Joseph to show mercy. One of his sons, he called Manasseh. God made me forget. God helped him in that process. And he's beginning to work that through. Now we've been looking at that mostly from the perspective of what occurs Here in the narrative, what is always important for us is to read God's word, seek to understand what it meant to the people of the time, what was going on, 
and to then ask the question, God, what does that mean for us in the now? And that's what we're going to do shortly after we've paused to sing. The power of grace to Joseph's brothers brought home the conviction of their own sin. What could we learn about how they responded, about relating to our own guilt? We're going to be thinking that through after we've paused to think of where we're at right now. Not to feel uncomfortable, but to allow God's spirit to move and to breathe, to touch us, to speak to us if there are things that we may well need to put right that may well not be. So the invitation that comes from this song is, God, I look to you. And then we'll seek to think about what this means for ourselves. Thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing that sense of reality into the now. We can all feel that sense of guilt, can't we? So what do we do with it? Well, Joseph wanted to forget the pain of the past, while his brothers wanted to forget about their sin. They've been lying and hiding for 20 years. The Bible says that everything that is hidden will be brought to light. The way to deal with the past is by bringing it into the light. We can never escape that sense of guilt that we feel unless we face it and deal with it. And then probably most important of all, trust God at his word. And that can be the biggest issue for believers. And I'll come back to that. So our sense of guilt that may well catch up on us. What should we do? Well, here's five things that all begin with the letter A. So as quickly as I can, conscious of time. Firstly, accept what you can and can't change. Sometimes we can look back with such regret, feeling that it can't be changed so we can never go forward and we stay there. That is never God's heart for you. We can't change the past. It's been done. But we can change the future if we allow God into the present. Secondly, allow God to convict you of anything that isn't right. We can't tell anyone to to feel guilty. We can't make anyone necessarily feel guilty. But we can encourage a sense of openness and honesty to God. That is a positive and healthy thing. Remember what happened back in Acts chapter 2, where Peter preached God's word. And the response to that was people were cut to the heart. That was a big deep conviction but it led to forgiveness and freedom can you see how brilliant that was as a result they knew what they then should do the brothers needed to reach that place and so do we sometimes i hear people say about oh i've always been a christian and i get a bit concerned about that because in our journey whoever we are regardless of our christian background for some of us or otherwise there has to come that time that that realization that we are sinners before god for all have sinned romans 3:23 speaks about we all deserve god's punishment and wrath we do all of us but this is what 2 peter chapter 3 verse 9 reminds us this same god is patient with you, with me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, to deal with that shame, to deal with that sin, to deal with that wrongdoing, to deal with that guilt that we feel. So allow God to bring his sense of conviction by his spirit, because that same spirit is going to point us in the direction as to where we're going to then get our freedom.
Admit that you have done wrong. We haven't got time to look up Psalm 32, but you'll see there uh, the the helpful few verses from verses 3 to 5. Admit that you've done wrong, maybe to God. It could well be that that involves confessing to others. And that can be quite difficult when people maybe don't uh, see it. It took 20 years for the brothers to openly confess that they had done wrong. Often with ourselves as adults, it can take a crisis. People don't need God, do they, when everything's going swimmingly well. But then when things hit the fan and there's a tragic event, maybe in their family, then all of a sudden, uh, very often people can turn or blame God, turn to God or blame God, can't they? I've taken a number of, of funerals where there's been some difficulties that have arisen through families, where there's been a guilt that has come to light Because of maybe a relationship breakdown and how somebody has felt about not putting things right. And then it is too late when the person that they need to put that right with is no longer there because it's that person's funeral. Really tragic. Time is a healer, people say. Have you ever heard that? You may well have even said it. Think about that, is it? We can say words so easily, can't we? Time does not ever ease a guilty conscience. Repentance does. That is God's design. That's why he's put it in his word. Right the way through from cover to cover. That's why we need to embrace it and see that as a positive thing. And as we think about words beginning with the letter A, let's think about the word avoid. Avoid blaming others for your own guilt. Reuben was very quick to be super spiritual, uh, wasn't he? Well, I told you, but you wouldn't listen. Let's put all the blame on all the rest of the brothers and not him. He didn't try that hard. Why is it that we blame uh, others? We're so quick to do that. Uh, we're just about to go into this season of the, the, the football European championships. And there will be, again, the usual expectation that of England winning. And we won't. And there'll be the excuses made and the blame being put on the referee, the lack of the crowd at the atmosphere, a certain players being injured, all sorts of things as opposed to, well, we weren't good enough or we failed. It was down to us. We blame others. Why? Well, because can't be us, surely. We feel okay. There's a sense of pride or arrogance in that, isn't there? We can even justify ourselves to put the blame on the innocent. But equally damaging is when we take the blame for maybe what is not our fault. Or when there is no fault anyway, but we still feel that we have to apologise due to our own low view of ourselves. You've got different uh, starting points there, haven't you? That can be seen in a marriage or in a long-term relationship, especially where there's been gaslighting going on. If you haven't heard of that term before, I suggest you read all about it because there's been a definition put to something that has probably been going on for years and years and years, where one spouse, nearly always the husband, making the other spouse feel the guilty one, feel completely stupid, feel the mistaken one. And so a false guilt, guilt arises that cripples the victim, but they feel powerless to say anything, let alone to change. And let's not um, you know, assume that this is all marriages out there and that we're okay in the church. Most of my experience of gaslighting has been with Christian couples, I have to say. 
We need God's Holy Spirit to bring about a positive conviction so that those relationships are put right, don't we? And we need a sense of boldness for the victim to speak out and try to seek help so that there can be change. God doesn't want us to blame others when we are in the wrong. But neither does he want us to blame ourselves when deep down, we probably know it anyway, that we are not the ones who are in the wrong. That unnecessary guilt or such a refusal to accept our own wrong, both of those are sin that we need to deal with. So the fifth thing, the final thing, is that we ask God to remove our guilt because he's the only one who can, so we might as well go to the best place of all. And that's where Jesus fits in. Joseph's brothers, we know, had that growing sense of guilt that they were feeling, which is where then verse 28 builds on, and 29 builds on uh, what they'd said already from uh, verse 21. That sense of, oh, you know, this is God that's punishing us. And when you get that uh, awareness of God, that can sometimes feel quite uncomfortable. They were trembling, these butch brothers. Can you remember the miraculous catch of fish? And Peter was thinking, yes, what a miracle, what a miracle. And then he looks around and there's Jesus right there and he's like, oh. And the next phrase is incredible. Can you remember what he said? Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. When God comes close, as he did with Joseph's brothers, there's a fear of God. There's a healthy fear if that then leads onto a confession. So one brother is to stay in the place of all the other brothers. A picture maybe of God's rescue plan still to come for our own guilt. We know that Jesus, as God, is able to forgive us because he alone was punished for our wrongdoing. He was the one who was left behind to carry the can for everybody else. And that includes the likes of you and me. Have mercy on me, a sinner, says the tax collector. Have mercy on me, O God, says the psalmist. Remember me, Jesus, says the dying thief. Different characters coming to that place following conviction of sin, where then they know where there's going to be freedom and forgiveness as a result of them coming to God. There can be no removal of guilt without realisation of wrongdoing and then repentance towards God for it. God's word says these words in 1 John. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. Suppression of guilt will only ever lead to condemnation. Repentance from our guilt will lead us to restoration and freedom. So that's good news, isn't it? So let's not be all dour about it. A hard, tough subject, but a real one. But there is good news because we have got the gospel. We just need to believe it. We just need to believe it. I want to mention four steps. It could well be that you're watching this uh, at home as to how we deal with that wrongdoing. And we very often use three words of admit, believe and commit and ABC. I want to use four different words today that each begin with the letter R. Firstly, remember. Remember that Jesus has forgiven you for all your sin. He's already done what needs to be done. Remember his great love and mercy for you. Secondly, to resolve, to confess all of your wrongdoing to God. 
to not withhold anything from him at all and allow his great love for you to fuel your love for him as you confess thirdly to seek to reconcile after we've confessed to god he's going to guide us as who we may well need to reconcile with to speak to to put things right with if that's involved another person seek to do that if it's safe as well as practically possible and it isn't always but god knows that and fourthly to then rest you've got peace regardless of what another person may well think It's peace with God that matters more than anything else because we live for an audience of one. It's trying to avoid what anybody else may well think about the way we've lived our lives or what we've done or what we've said and just get right with him. Remember, resolve, reconcile and rest. But a final word to those of you who are going to be in the majority here today, uh, clearly, who are believers. And you know this stuff that Michelle has already spoken brilliantly about Romans 8. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's fantastic, isn't it? We don't need to own any sense of guilt. And yet, as we were sharing together at Cafe Church yesterday, we realized that, well, there's stuff that sticks and I do feel guilty. Where is that? It's so important that we believe the gospel that we say that we believe in. Because what strikes me is what happens time and time and time and time and time again as believers is we feel guilty. We confess it to God. We give it to him. We thank God that he's forgiven and forgotten. Now we're free. But then we allow ourselves to become guilty again. Where does that guilt come from? I promise you this, my friend. It is not from God. It can't be. He's already convicted you. And you have then sought to repent and put that right. So that guilt that you are feeling after confession can never be from God. There's only two other places it can come from. It's only something that's made up in your mind or it's a lie from the devil himself. There are no other options. Why? Because there is no condemnation in in Christ Jesus. It's so simple. And you may well be looking at me, but why are you saying the obvious? Because of so many conversations I have where it strikes me that bottom line is we struggle deep down as believers to believe the word of God that we say we believe in. If we fully believed it and owned it, we wouldn't live in guilt, my friends. Let's come to him in prayer. Father God, we want to say thank you for Jesus who's given us the capacity and facility to be free from guilt completely free not as a result of what we've done because we're still going to do stuff wrong but because it is finished he was punished for all my wrongdoing or our wrongdoing the lamb of god who came to take away the sin of the world that includes us because of what this jesus has done we can go free god we pray for a special sense of ownership amongst your people today that we will be free and free indeed because of Jesus. So the moment we hear the whispers from the enemy, reminding us of our wrongdoing, making us feel so guilty again, help us to refuse to accept that, to refuse to own it, because there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Jesus, anyone who truly believes that which he has done and that which your word says. Father, we pray that we might see that sense of guilt for what it is. Either something fabricated in our mind, 
or something that the enemy has dumped upon us in an area where we feel most vulnerable. Protect us, we pray, so that we live as the people that you want us to be, so that we live in hope for what is yet to come. And Father God, for anybody here hearing this message today who as yet is still struggling with that sense of guilt because they've never bowed the knee to this person called Jesus. May they see his arms outstretched on the cross for them, that through a confession of their own wrongdoing and a turning to faith in this Jesus, they might embrace that complete sense of freedom, forgiveness, a a receiving of your Holy Spirit, as well as a promise of eternity with you. What could be better? God, we pray that you would move in whatever person's heart and mind who's hearing this. Give them courage to act and respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to respond in speaking about and singing about that sense of living hope that we have in Jesus. And Michelle will lead us through that.